The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gam Podcast are presented by Circa Sports. Circa Sports is back with their Circa Survivor and Circa Millions contests. $14 million up for grabs. Get all the details at circasports.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently Saturday night, July 15th. Number host is always Scott Rochelle, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a very fun episode because it is time to get into the men's final in Wimbledon, which was going to be exciting no matter what, but now it's extremely exciting because it involves Djokovic against Alcaraz. You make an argument that if Alcaraz does pull off the upset, this might be the proverbial passing of the torch. We'll see what happens once again when we get into the actual preview for the match. But this is one of the most anticipated matches that we've had in a while. And I know that it was kind of a dud in the French Open because Alcaraz ended up getting injured in the third set. But the first two sets were incredible there. And you saw the potential fireworks that would take place when these two get together on a court, and now you're going to get it in the Wimbledon final. So I'm very excited for it. should be a lot of fun. I'm assuming that the ratings for this match will be through the roof. Uh, but either way, point is definitely must-watch television uh, on a Sunday morning for the Wimbledon final. But before we get into any of the preview stuff there, do want to recap how we did in the last episode and talk about the women's final, and then we'll get into the path for both Djokovic and Alcaraz, talk about the semifinals a little bit, maybe even a bit further back, and then talk about how they match up against each other. So starting off with the lock and dog picks. Unfortunately, Wimbledon continues to be a thorn in my side. That's a half pun intended, I guess, because it's more grass than thorn. You get the point. Uh, not good. Unfortunately for us, we needed Jabour to hold one more service game to cash the over, and she choked it. Uh, we had the over 21 and a half as the lock. Looked pretty good early on. You saw Jabour lose the first set 6-4. Competitive, decent amount of games. Then Jabour was up a break in the second. Gave it back, but it was 4-4. And if Jabour held one more time, we would have automatically won. And then she ended up getting broken and lost 6-4, 6-4. As for the dog in the episode, we had the long shot play of Jabour to lose the first set and win the match at plus 750. Closed at plus 700. I also leaned to the over two and a half sets, but I thought it was too similar to the actual total that I didn't even bother, but that didn't work out either. I'll get into Jabor's performance in a second, but first of all, I do want to congratulate Vondrasova on her, on her historic run. She was officially the longest shot to ever win Wimbledon. I believe she was 150 to one. She won one grass match, I believe, in her entire career before Wimbledon. And now she wins the Wimbledon Championship, which is just insane to me. Vendrosva not only also wins her first ever Grand Slam, but she also catapults herself into the top 10. I believe she jumped up 32 spots. So congratulations to her. She made a final several years ago and lost to Barty and then had a couple injuries. So it's nice to see her getting back. Good story for her. And she was a Cinderella that came out of nowhere and ended up winning a title. So first of all, want to give my flowers to Vondrasova. Good for her, even though Jabor really did not play well at all. Vondrasova beat a decent amount of good competition. I know Jabor did a lot of the heavy lifting, upsetting some of the series long shots there. But Vondrasova, it's not her fault who she played against. She did what she had to do, and she only dropped uh, two sets in the entire match. But either way, point is, nice win. She had a thrilling comeback win against Pagula, where I thought she was probably going to lose. Most people did. 
but she showed a lot of resolve there and kept the momentum flowing from that point forward in route to not dropping a set in the semis or in the final. So that is the positive look at what happened in the Saturday match. Vondrasova, very good performance. Good for her. Jabor, there's a lot to unpack here. And I feel like I'm going to start off by kind of repeating something that I mentioned in the last episode for the uh, final preview, where I talked about the importance of mental toughness in the sport of tennis. And that's why I had Swiatek as the number one player in the world and why I had Sabalenka in second. It was because Sabalenka has a history of choking. And Swiatek, don't get me wrong, she's lost a couple of matches here. Uh, she ended up losing in Wimbledon to Svitolina. But she's not exactly viewed as being a good grass court player. Most of the time, Swiatek really does not implode mentally. And she's able to give her all. And if she loses, she just loses to a player who's playing better than her. But you don't see many implosions from Swiatek. And you see a decent amount from Sabalenka, which we saw in the semis against Jabor and in the semis against Mukova in the French Open. But I'm going to kind of extrapolate that. Uh, talking point into this Jabor discussion for the final because it's really tough to fully call somebody a choker when they are able to beat the second ranked and the third best players in the world while being a set down in order to make it to a final because Jabor was down a set to Rabakana and was down a set to Sabalenka and came back and won. So props are there, a lot of mental toughness. Having said that, Jabor has been in a bunch of Grand Slam finals, and she's fallen short every time. Now, some of the time you can argue, well, Rabakina was really good on grass last year. She went up against Swiatek. You know, that's not going to be a fun time. I get it. You know, a couple of those losses, nothing you can do. You just run into a better player. Having said that, Jabor completely no-showed the match today, and it was kind of embarrassing to watch. And you're looking at... Uh, her overall performances, she's made three finals in her career, uh, lost in Wimbledon the last two years, including this year, obviously, and lost in the uh, U.S. Open in 2022 to, I believe, Swiatek, who beat her in straight sets. But anyway, the point is Jabor was trying to make history as she was trying to become the first African and the first Muslim player to win a Grand Slam event. And she once again failed to deliver and I feel like I got to at least talk about it because people treat Jabor like she is some type of hero. And I understand that she's an inspiration to some because she did not exactly take a common path. Once again, the first African player to try to win a Grand Slam or the first Muslim. I'm aware that she's trying to break through some uncharted territory here. I understand that. Having said that, I don't know how you can just watch her continuously choke away opportunities and continue to just be so optimistic about the future of her career because I don't think she's going to win a Grand Slam, just simply put. I don't know how many times you can really just vanish at various points in matches in big moments and expect me not to call you at least a borderline choker. Now, it's easier said than done. I know it's a lot easier to be a couch chair analysis where – I should say analyst, where I'm not playing the sport. It's easier said than done. There's a lot of mental uh, you know, issues that can show up in a tennis match, and it's, once again, going to be tricky to fully keep your composure for a two-out-of-three set match with all that pressure on her. First of all, I don't really buy into the pressure angle, talking about how I'm the first African or Muslim to win a potential Grand Slam. This is your third Grand Slam final. 
the pressure should have been out of the way by now. Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you. The fact is you had the easiest uh, final matchup you could have possibly had against the player who was 150 to one to win the title. And not only do you lose, but you quit in the middle of the match and you also just come out with no energy whatsoever. It made no sense. And you could argue, well, you know, she played a lot of long matches against Rabakana and against Sabalenka. I can understand that angle, but at no point in the match did Jabor look, I'd say, fully focused. And it looked like when she blew the break that she was up at 3-1 in the second set, she just completely fell apart again. She fell apart in the end of the first set. Then she pieced it together for about a 15-minute period there in the second set. And then as soon as she got broken, it looked like she didn't want to play anymore. And you saw Jabor really punt the final couple of games. And you even saw in the post-match uh, reflection period on the chair while she was taking it in that she ended up losing again. And then they gave her the microphone for the post-match interview. It really just seemed like Jabor was fine physically, at least post-match. And she just completely tensed up and wanted nothing to do with being on the court. And I feel like it was sad to watch, not even just as a better, but trying to hope for a good match and seeing one player visibly quit on the court wasn't exactly fun to experience. But either way, point is Jabor, do I think she's going to win a title? No, I think that she is not mentally tough enough to do it. And even though it would have been cool for her to make some history, being once again the first African and the first Muslim to win a Grand Slam title, at the end of the day, though, Jabor keeps getting a lot of fan recognition and publicity for what she stands for. And I'm going to use stands for in quotes because she's trying to inspire hope to some people, maybe in Africa, with either political climate stuff or just athletics, trying to make sure that they keep their dreams or hopes alive. It's also a little bit weird to promote that message and then quit in a Grand Slam final. Just saying, I feel like none of people are really holding her accountable enough to how bad that performance actually was. And a lot of people are choosing to be nice with her, talking about how it's okay, you'll get them next time. You still stand for so much that's more than tennis. All that could be true, but don't quit in the Grand Slam final while you're supposed to be an inspiration to millions of people. That's all I'm going to say. I feel like that's a pretty fair critique. And if you think I'm being harsh, I don't know what to tell you because she she visibly quit in a Grand Slam match that she's been motivated for all year, so much so that she made the second-place trophy, the dish, the Wimbledon dish, her phone background for the entire year to motivate her to potentially get over the hump and to win Wimbledon and then she no-showed the Wimbledon final again. On the bright side, next year, now she can have two Wimbledon dishes as her phone background. But anyway, Jabor, embarrassing performance. I got to just be fully, fully transparent about that. I'm not excusing anything from what Jabor uh, did yesterday or on Thursday. Uh, sorry, not Thursday. On uh, Saturday. I know that, once again, pressure can be high. It's your third Grand Slam title. You've been trying to pump yourself up for this the entire time. You beat the second best player in the world and the third best player in the world. And then you choke against somebody who is 150 to one to win the tournament in the final. I got to hold you accountable. That's really, really bad. So Jabor, maybe she'll win a Grand Slam title. I don't think she's going to. But either way, uh, the Africans and the Muslims are going to have to wait to see the first Grand Slam title on their behalf because Jabor couldn't do it. But anyway, that's going to briefly recap the women's final. Once again, though, even though I just wanted to mostly make it about a rant regarding Jabor, I do want to congratulate Vondrasova once again. It is one of the most improbable runs to 
be a Grand Slam finalist years ago, have a bunch of injuries, and then win a Grand Slam in a, on a surface that you have only won one ever match on your career before, which is just insane to me, the more that you say it out loud. She's a good player, though. I was making jokes during the actual match that I thought she was potentially seven foot two, and I was calling her Danila Medvedev the entire match because she just gets to every ball. It's crazy how the reach differential was. I mean, of course, it was going to be obvious because Jabor is very short, and she has probably the lowest ball toss I've ever seen of any player. But Vondrasova was able to hit a bunch of squash slice shots on the forehand side to keep the ball in play. And Jabor really just could not hit the ball past her. And the more balls that Vondrasova kept in play, the more likely Jabor was to hit an unforced error. And that was really the story of the match. She's allegedly five foot eight. I don't buy that. I think that, she, I mean, watching her play, I thought she was at least 5'10", 5'11", uh, but it also might be because Jabor is that short that she looks significantly taller by comparison. But Vondrasova was still good. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking it away from her, but I expected a lot more from Jabor. I'm sure a lot of people did. And I thought the performance itself was kind of embarrassing on her behalf. Either way, anyway, time to transition over into the moment you've all been waiting for, the matchup we were all hoping would happen, and it finally happened. You have Djokovic and Alcaraz in a Grand Slam final. I know the French Open, once again, was a very entertaining matchup for two sets. Then Alcaraz cramped up, and the nerves got the better of him. Having said that, that was also a semifinal. This is a final in Djokovic's backyard, because Djokovic has not lost a match on Wimbledon center court in over 10 years. So Djokovic has been dominant here. We know that he is one match away from winning his eighth Wimbledon title. He's He has not lost a Wimbledon match in years. And on center court, it's been over a decade. So Alcaraz has a work cut out for him. However, having said that, the odds are pretty short. And money's actually coming on Alcaraz leading into this matchup. So Djokovic opened up initially at around minus 200 or minus 220, depending on where you were shopping. And now he's down mostly to minus 190 or minus 185. Alcaraz was in that plus 180 range, plus 190 range, give or take. And now he's down to plus 165. As for the spread, Djokovic minus three and a half games is minus 105. And uh, Alcaraz plus three and a half games is minus 115. Uh, for the total games, you can get 39.5. The over is minus 135. The under is plus 105. 40.5 is minus 120 to the over, and the under is even money. And if you want to go for some sets here, you can get Djokovic minus 1.5 sets at plus 105. You can get Alcaraz plus 1.5 sets at minus 135. You can get Djokovic to win in straight sets at plus 275. And if you want to go for the insane long shot, Alcaraz to win in straight sets is roughly plus 600. If you want the match to also go to four sets, uh, over three and a half sets is minus 215. And if you want to get the match to go five sets, that's at plus 200. So there's some props available too. I'll get into those with the, the breaks of serve and the double faults. But for the sake of this overall matchup, do want to talk about the path of both players, which will segue me into the actual semifinal matches that we saw a couple days ago. So both players won in straight sets. Djokovic did not look that that sharp, but he was good enough. It was really just a story of Sinner blowing every big point opportunity that he had. And to go through the match itself, Sinner had six break points, went 0 for 6. And he also was up a mini break in the third set tiebreaker, led 3-1, then double faulted. And I'm trying to remember the exact breakdown of points, but I believe Sinner lost, what was it, like five of the last six points in the tiebreaker? He completely fell apart 
at the end of that third set. But Sinner also had two set points at 15-40 in that third set, and Djokovic fought those break points off. But Djokovic looked fine. Did he look amazing? Not really. I mean, he was very good at keeping the ball in play, but it was really just Sinner hitting a bunch of unforced errors and slipping all over the court. I don't know what shoes Sinner was wearing, but he should never wear the shoes again on grass because he was slipping and sliding all over the place. He was constantly complaining to his camp. I don't know why you don't have a backup pair of shoes. I feel like that's probably a pretty standard solution. But Djokovic in that match had 11 aces, zero double faults, but only landed 58% of his first serve points. And that was with the roof. So it wasn't like wind played a factor in that matchup. But he did a pretty good job of defending and serve. Won 75% of his first serve points. Won 60% of his second serve points. Sinner, for the most part, did serve pretty well in general. The problem was, unlike... Uh, the situation with uh, the first set where Sinner blew a bunch of break points and Djokovic converted in his only break point of the set. It was kind of a similar story throughout the entire match where Djokovic was just more opportunistic and Sinner had chances and just kept blinking every time he had a big chance. It felt like there were a lot of points where Sinner was pushing Djokovic around the court, looked like he just needed one more shot to fully put away the point, and he'd slam the forehand into the net. It was really just the story of the match. So Djokovic, once again, what makes him so good is the consistency, and I am definitely aware that the consistency for Djokovic is what makes him the greatest player of all time. But Sinner had chances, and I know Alcaraz can be just as aggressive as Sinner, but also a lot more accurate, and I do think that can result in success for Alcaraz throughout this match. Now, just to go through how close the match actually was, the total points... In this match, Djokovic once again won in straight sets. He only won 10 more points than Sinner in the entire match. He won the point total 106 to 96. So Djokovic once again was good. He won in straight sets, but Sinner hung around. And I don't want people to suddenly think that, jo- that Djokovic completely blew him out. The match was competitive. Sinner just blew every chance he had. And for comparison here, Alcaraz also won in straight sets in his matchup in the semis against Medvedev. But if you compare the point differentials for both players, Alcaraz out, uh, outpointed Medvedev 91-68. to 68. That's a 23-point differential compared to 10, and each match was in straight sets. So once again, Alcaraz looked a lot more dominant in his match in the semis than Djokovic did. Does it matter? No, because they're both in the final, and surviving advance is the only thing that matters. But still, I want to point out that Alcaraz did have a much easier go of it into the semis. And Alcaraz's match took an hour and 49, which is very straightforward. Djokovic's match took north of two and a half hours. So he was on the court for a lot longer. I noticed Djokovic wasn't moving that well as the match went on. I don't think it was because of injury, though. I just think that the court was so slippery that Djokovic was shortening up his steps to keep his traction. And he was kind of just letting Sinner slip all over the place while Djokovic was going to remain solid, keep the base intact. And as a result, he'd be willing to look a little bit odd with his movement, but he'd be able to at least keep his footing and keep the ball in play, which was the right strategy. We'll see. But the point is, I don't think Djokovic was actually hurt. I just think he was strategically adjusting his footwork to the actual court conditions. At least that was my takeaway. But to go through the path for both players, Alcaraz has been dominant. Uh, He has dropped two sets along the way. But he beat Chardy in straight sets, beat Moore in straight sets, beat Jari in four. Jari was playing some good tennis. Beat Berrettini in four, uh, beat Rune in three, and beat Medvedev in three. 
He's been really, really good, just simply put. He figured something out in the middle of the Queens Club, and it seems like that's here to stay because now he's in a, a Grand Slam final on grass, which looked a bit unlikely last year. As for Djokovic, he's been... Winning, once again, he's dropped the same amount of sets as Alcaraz. He's only dropped two sets, but he has had a lot of tiebreakers. He has had a couple of competitive sets where he was able to get through, but it hasn't been easy. So he beat Sinner in three. I think that was more difficult of a match than what uh, most people might suggest based on solely looking at the actual box score. Once again, Sinner did have two set points in the third set. Beat Rublev in four. Pretty straightforward. Uh, Djokovic had some chances in the first set. Couldn't convert. Rublev broke him at the end of the first set. Kind of similar to what we saw with the Sinner Djokovic first set, but with the roles being reversed, where Djokovic had chances, couldn't convert, and then completely just killed him in the final three sets. Her catch was serving insanely well. Uh, that was an all-time serve performance by uh, her catch, but Djokovic still dropped the set there in the uh, third set. He probably should have dropped the first set as well. He was down 6-3 in the breaker. But Hercats choked, beat Warenka in three, but going to a tiebreak against Warenka at this stage in his career on grass isn't the greatest look. But Djokovic, once again, still won the breaker. Uh, beat Thompson in straight sets, did have a tiebreaker and a 7-5 in there, and beat Katchen 7-6 in the final set in the first round, still a straight set win. So I think if you want to go based on the eye test or based on what we've seen in terms of winning matches with ease, I think Alcaraz has won matches more easily throughout the course of this tournament. Now, does that mean anything? Probably not, but I want to at least bring it up that people might just expect Djokovic to destroy Alcaraz because once again, we're on grass where Djokovic has dominated, arguably the best grass court player of all time. He has not lost on this court in 10 plus years. Alcaraz is making his first ever grass Grand Slam final appearance. It's not the same thing as Federer versus Nadal where you're kind of waiting for this upstart Spaniard to try to pull off the upset, and nobody gave him a chance early on. And then, of course, he eventually broke through in that all-time classic. Uh, it wasn't his first attempt, though, but still, the point is he eventually broke through. Do I think the nerves will get the best of Alcaraz? I think he'll do a better job with regard to the nerves. I think the crowd support's going to be there for him entirely. Djokovic has been taunting the Wimbledon crowd for a decent portion of the tournament, and he did the fake crying face. You know what I'm talking about, whether you like the fake crying face or not during the actual match. The point is Djokovic does seem to thrive trying to be a villain uh, towards the crowd, and I do think the crowd will be all over Alcaraz in this match because of how likable Alcaraz is. And even though Djokovic is, of course, a Wimbledon god, at some point, you do kind of hope new blood shows up and can actually challenge Djokovic. I know that, once again, I'm a Djokovic fan, so I'm rooting for Djokovic to win, but I can understand why Wimbledon fans or why tennis fans might get bored seeing Djokovic being on the verge of winning his eighth Wimbledon title. So I can see a lot of crowd support for Alcaraz. I think crowd support will be there for Djokovic, too. I think most people are just going to be rooting for a great match. So they're going to be rooting for Alcaraz to win a set, then if Djokovic goes down a set, they'll root for him to win the second set, and they're just going to pray for a five-set marathon match, which I think is what most tennis fans are going to be rooting for. But for the sake of the nerves for Alcaraz, I think he'll do a better job. I think it's different when you face Djokovic in a Grand Slam semi in your first ever experience against him in a Grand Slam 3-5 to five match. And I do think that with that experience under his belt, yes, I know the stakes are higher because it is a Grand Slam final as opposed to a semi. The fact that Alcaraz has been on the court with Djokovic in a Grand Slam and the fact that Alcaraz knows what the intensity he needs to bring is, I do think that will help him out in this match. Do I think Alcaraz is going to win? I'm going to put it this way. I think Djokovic is going to win. 
but I do think these odds are close to where they should be. And I do think that Alcaraz is pretty live to make a better number for Djokovic live. I think that Alcaraz can potentially win the first set. Maybe you see it tied at a set apiece, and maybe Alcaraz is up a break in a third set where it's 1-1. But I do think Djokovic at some point in this match will have a lower number than minus 185. I think Djokovic at some point might be minus 140, maybe minus 130, but I do think that Djokovic at some point is going to be in a dogfight. And the question is, can Alcaraz sustain that pressure for the course of five sets? I'm not sure he can, but I have to give him props for being this good on a surface that he looked very uncomfortable in last year. So the point is, I am taking Djokovic to win. Uh, once again, not a hot take. I'm not trying to hate on Alcaraz, but being undefeated on a specific court for 10 plus years and for being one of the best grass court players of all time, I'm not suddenly going to pick against him in the other guy's first ever grass Grand Slam final. I'm not going to do it. If Alcaraz wins, would I be shocked? I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be surprised, but I would say that I would be less shocked than most other people. Let's put it that way. For the sake of the actual spread and the total, I like the over. I know the over came back to bite us in the French Open. It was cruising until Alcaraz got hurt. But I like the over 39 and a half. You might get a breaker. You might get five sets. I think it might go five sets. I think you're going to see a pretty long match taking place. And I do think that when you're looking at what to expect, I think both players will have moments. I think that the, once again, keep an eye on the actual court conditions because we've seen a lot of weird bounces, a lot of slip a lot of slipping in general, and I do wonder if that's going to play a factor in this match once again. But I am going to go with the over at 39.5. I do think that you're going to see a lot of competitive sets, and I do think you're probably going to go to four or five. If I had to guess myself, I'd take Djokovic in five. If I had to personally pick, I think Alcaraz will have moments. I think Djokovic's serve will let him down at times. Maybe the first serve percentage, but I do think that Alcaraz will be able to break a decent amount, and I do think that you will see a lot of ebbs and flows throughout this match. So I like the overs. Uh, once again, match to go five sets is plus 200. You can chop around, maybe find a better line there. Alcaraz plus one and a half sets is minus 135. I don't know if I fully like that, but that's where I'm leaning because once again, I have it going five. But for the sake of the actual props for this matchup, there are two props that caught my eye. The first one's going to be breaks of serve. I like Alcaraz over two and a half breaks against Djokovic. And I do think that when you're looking at how these players match up, Djokovic has been very good at serving. Don't get me wrong. The problem is he has also given up a lot of breakpoint chances. Djokovic has allowed at least six break points in each of the last two matches against the likes of Rublev and Sinner. And I do think that Alcaraz, with his elite returning, can definitely get deep into Djokovic's service games, especially if Djokovic's first serve percentage is below 60%, like it was in that semi against Sinner. But Alcaraz has also been really good at returning in this tournament, as Alcaraz has had at least 14 break points. 14 break points minimum in five of his six Wimbledon matches. The one exception was the Rune match, where both players served very well, and Alcaraz wasn't close to that number. But the point is, every other match, Alcaraz has had a bunch of chances, and I do think he will have chances in this match. I'm also expecting a marathon, which should result in more service games in general. So I do like the over and Alcaraz breaks here at two and a half. I also do like a prop here on Djokovic double faults. I like the under at two and a half, and it's currently at minus 120. Djokovic has gone under this number in four of his last five matches. 
with a couple four setters in there. So once again, decent amount of length in some of those matches. But Djokovic has also been serving well lately with the second serve percentage because Djokovic has recorded just one double fault in his last two matches combined. And you can argue Alcaraz is such a good returner that Djokovic is going to have to be more conscious about it. So maybe he might go for more on second serves. Maybe, but I got to go with the numbers here. Djokovic has gone under this number in four or five, one double fault in the last two matches combined, two and a half double faults under at minus 120, I do think is a good price. But those, those are going to be the props. Besides that, I think that's kind of going to wrap it up for the sake of this matchup. Once again, I expect an absolute war. I think it's going to be must-watch TV, and I think it's going to be an absolute thriller. But for the sake of this matchup, I do think in order to actually be the king, you got to beat the king. And I'll believe it when I see it. Until I see Djokovic actually lose on center court in Wimbledon, I'm not going to pick him to lose on center court in Wimbledon. It sounds pretty simple. I think it is. And once again, I do think Alcaraz will be live at times where it looks like he's going to potentially pull it off. Or maybe he's going to be in a great spot to pull it off. But we know Djokovic is so mentally tough and the overall just mental... Uh, experience and the ability to wear down opponents with consistency is just otherworldly. And that's why he's the greatest player of all time. I do think Djokovic once again will be up to the challenge, but it will not be easy. I'm not expecting Alcaraz to suddenly cramp again, either mentally or physically. I think Alcaraz will be there mentally for the entirety of this match. And I think that Djokovic will just beat him with consistency and Alcaraz's serve might let him down. Maybe a little bit of nerves on some big points, uh, which is standard for everybody. But I think Djokovic, with his with his overall just brick wall mentality, will be able to get the job done. But that's going to wrap it up. Now it's time to get into the lock and dog picks. But before we do that, can I have a quick word from our sponsor? We're also brought to you by Circus Sports. Circa Millions and Circus Survivor are back. $14 million in guaranteed prizes up for grabs. Circa Millions is pretty simple. Five NFL picks against the spread each week. There's a leaderboard, and depending on how well you do, you can make yourself some serious money. On top of that, Circus Survivor is a different but fun way to get in on the NFL action. Pick a different Moneyline winner each week. You cannot use, once again, the same team twice, and whoever's the last team standing or last person standing ends up winning the grand prize, or if most multiple people do make it to the end of the season, then you chop whatever the grand prize is. And on top of that, you can enter in Vegas, but play from anywhere using a proxy. And SportsCam Podcast will be out there last weekend in August. So stop by and say hi to the gang. CircusSports.com for all the details. CircusSports.com. What would you do if you ended up winning all that money? Possibilities are endless. I would probably go on vacation. I travel a lot, maybe buy a ticket to the Super Bowl. We'd see. But the point is, it would be a lot of fun to, of course, get in on the action by winning. And for me, the picks that I'll look at for Survivor, there's a lot of potential options. Once again, the season's so far out there. I would fade the Cardinals, just simply put, with Kyler being on the shelf. And we know Arizona's got the lowest win total of any team. I'd probably just fade the Cardinals, play it safe. There's different philosophies when it comes to Survivor, where some people try to save the best teams for last Others try to just get the best teams out of the way because you have more faith in them. I'm more of an option B guy. I'd rather just try to survive as long as possible and worry about the planning after. But I do think taking the commanders in the first game at home against the Cardinals is worth a look because the Cardinals should be a mess. So that would be my thoughts for the week one of Survivor. But once again, get in on the action at Circus Sports, circusports.com for all of the details. 
We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania 4 is here, and Underdog Fantasy is giving away $15 million in prizes. Underdog Pick'em is also another great way to get down your favorite MLB and college baseball player props. So many ways to win over at Underdog, and it's active in so many states. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com. Use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's UnderdogFantasy.com. Promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the Wimbledon men's final between Djokovic and Alcaraz. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks for the show. Starting off with the lock, we're going to be going with Alcaraz over two and a half breaks of serve at minus 120. Simply put, I think that line's just too low. I mentioned that Djokovic, despite holding serve a decent amount of the time against some weaker competition, he has left the door open to be broken. And Alcaraz has been so good at returning this entire tournament. 14-plus break points in five of his six Wimbledon matches. I know Alcaraz has the overall variety. He's got the power. He really can accomplish a lot of success on any surface. And I do think that Djokovic, with his first serve percentage, kind of struggling in that center match. I do think if he continues to struggle with the first serve percentage, Alcaraz will have a lot of soft second serves, which he can tee off on and get a huge advantage in some of these points. And once again, I do think it'll be a long match, which so you do have a lot of potential service games to work with. But for the sake of my lock, I really do like that Alcaraz breaks. And I do think that Djokovic will have success against Alcaraz too with the breaks of serve. But when you're looking at the overall matchup, I think Alcaraz can generate a lot of pressure against Djokovic. We saw it in the first two sets in the French Open. I know it's easier to break serve on in on clay than grass. I know that but we have seen Djokovic's serve on grass leave himself vulnerable at times. And I do think Alcaraz, unlike Djokovic's previous opponents in this event, will actually be able to capitalize and won't choke on every single key point that they have. So for my lock, give me Alcaraz over two and a half breaks of serve at minus 120. Uh, Before I actually move on, I do want to check to see if I can find a better line because there are a couple of books that actually have this available. Uh, Looking at... The breaks of serve. Sorry, just trying to pull this up. Uh, Let me see if I could find it. Uh, Meanwhile, while I actually look for it, I am going to move on. So, actually, no, I see two and a half. I see minus 125 on bet 365, but I found minus 120 offshore. So, give me the minus 120. But moving on to the dog for the show. I think you might know where I'm going with it, but I'm going to take it anyway. Give me Djokovic to win the match and each player to win a set, which is available on Bet365 and Caesars at the same price of plus 130. Simply put, Djokovic once again, undefeated here for 10 plus years. He's on the verge of winning another Wimbledon title, which would be his eighth. But the point is, I do think when you're looking at this overall matchup, I think that Alcaraz will have moments. I think it'll be a very fun match. I'm not picking Djokovic to win in straight sets. I think Alcaraz will be able to break through for at least an hour where he plays better tennis than Djokovic. And the problem is I don't think he'll be able to sustain that for the course of four or five sets. But I do think, once again, you're taking a minus 190 favorite, turning it into plus 130. And most people are not expecting Djokovic to win in straight sets anyway. So you are gaining basically an extra dollar value just by taking what you expect to happen with the same guy you expect to win, but combining them and getting a better price. And Djokovic, once again, has dropped a set in two of his last three matches, Arguably should have been each of the last three matches because Sinner had a couple chances into the third set. But I do think Alcaraz will be able to win at least one set. But until I see somebody beat Djokovic on center court, I'm not going to pick it. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. 
I'm going to go with Alcaraz over two and a half breaks at minus 120 as my lock. And my dog will be Djokovic Moneyline and each player to win a set, which is one prop. You can find a player to win and each player to win the set, I believe, is the actual verbiage for that prop. And that's at plus 130 on Bet365 or on Caesars. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Show Radio. You can find me on a bunch of podcasts for the network. You can find me on the NBA show, the MLB show, the WNBA show, and the NFL show. To go through the actual schedule for the rest of the uh, season for the next couple of weeks. So we got to at least talk about it because, of course, Wimbledon being over, uh, we got to talk about what the plan is. But anyway, we have three tournaments coming up. After Wimbledon, you have Newport, which is one of my favorite tournaments of the year, which should be fun. You have Gustad, and you also have uh, Nordia taking place in Bustad. So you have the Gustad and Bustad tournaments, and you also have Newport, which is kind of weird because right after grass season, you have one grass tournament and two clay events. So that's going to be interesting, but we will try to do all three outrights in one episode. I think that's what we're going to try to do. Maybe we'll divide it up. We'll see. Point is, we will have an episode early on next week. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.